Hey, this is the Nobody Likes Casey McLean podcast. Please check out my stand-up dates at thecaseymcclain.com. Also, follow me on all social media at thecaseymcclain. Check out stand-up clips and videos of mine at youtube.com slash McLean. This podcast is brought to you by Anchor. Anchor is where I host this podcast. It's where the file sits. It's also a great place if you want to start a podcast where you can record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. When you're hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your podcast to all the listening platforms, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. Whatever you're listening to this podcast on, you can get your podcast to that platform very easily. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. And best of all, Anchor is totally free. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Hello and welcome to the Nobody Likes Casey McLean podcast. This is, I'm recording this on Tuesday, the Tuesday before I head to Montana. I'm going to be all over Montana, so if you're listening to this the day I came out and you live in Montana, come on out. Townsend on Wednesday. Uh, Billings on Thursday. Helena on Friday, although that gig seems to be in peril. The uh, the booker has gone radio silent on me, so uh, it's very annoying. Being a comedian is very annoying. I've had quite a bit of hassle booking this this week of comedy, and I'm excited for it to be over, and I'm hoping that I make enough money to justify spending four days away from my family. But it's uh, it's appearing less and less likely. So come on out, buy some merch, make it worth my while for the love of fucking God. And if you know anyone that lives out there, you tell them to come out. Um, and then after that busy, busy month of November, I'll be in Lincoln city, Oregon, um, Tacoma and Spokane, Washington. And then I, I have a show December 17th in Bremerton. That's a late show, 10 PM at the, uh, historic Roxy theater. I did, by the way, I just sniffed. I recognize if you're out there listening and you hate that, I hate myself for doing it. You know, seasonal allergies and uh, cold and flu season or whatever. Then, uh, end of the year, Fort Wayne, Indiana. So, I didn't get my booster shot. I actually, I had a crazy uh, unlucky or not crazy. Not It's really neither crazy nor unlucky. It's just that I'm uh, not a wordsmith. I do not have the vocabulary to accurately describe what Saturday was like for me because I woke up on Saturday. I was being productive. I'm trying to get, you know, my wife and my lives in order so that I can spend four days away without it being an enormous problem for my wife and my daughter. And so I'm being productive. And one of the things that I needed to do was, uh, my dog is like, was overdue for a bath, overdue for a toothbrushing. So I brush her teeth. I give her a bath. I'm like, you know, 80% 80% of the way through her bath and I go to get up and my back, if you've ever thrown out your back, your lower back, you know, the feeling like you're just like, Oh, and it just seizes your whole lower back seizes. And this is the, f- I've always had lower back issues, but this is the fourth time it's happened since I had my daughter. So when you have a child, you're lifting them up out of these, you you know, they always tell you to lift with your legs, not with your back. But when you have a child, your only option is to lift with your back because you're not lifting this kid off of the ground very often. You're lifting them out of a uh, like a crib that you have to lean over into. 
You're lifting them out of uh, like a, a pack and play. We have what's, we had what's called a pack and play. And so you're, you're putting a lot of strain in your lower back. There's no way around it. That's what you're doing. That's what I did. And I, uh, I discovered this. So the first time I did it was probably the worst for a couple reasons. One is that I tried to just go back to doing everything as normal way too quickly. And so I think I exacerbated the issue. The other reason that it was bad is because um, it was the first time and I didn't know what to do. So I wasn't even like, I was doing a lot of stretching. I was doing a lot. And I think that stretching probably actually made it worse. I have this like uh, traction device that's supposed to simulate like like when the chiropractor does the traction thing where they separate your vertebrae to give you like some that spread them out a little bit. And... I did that, and that's probably not good in a situation where your muscles are spasming. I can tell you that whatever everything I did the first time made it worse. And I ended up, it was like, I remember the day pretty distinctly because I woke up. I had actually had uh, food poisoning the night before, so I was vomiting in the middle of the night, which is a rare occurrence for me. I'm not a, not a frequent vomiter. And... So I had already texted my boss at like three in the morning, like, Hey, I'm not going to be in. I have food poisoning. And then I, I also needed to get tabs for my truck. Fuck. That reminds me. I need to get tabs on my my truck right now. I got to order the tabs. Um, fuck. Uh, God, there's just my, I'm not good at being a road comedian. If you all would just make this podcast, um, make this podcast popular enough so that I could stop having a day job. Boy, would that be helpful to my life. Uh, so I had to get tabs on my truck. I had to literally like, like an old man, I had to get into my, my wife's car, like limp across the street. Cause it's, I, the issue that I have is like on the right side of my lower back and it fucks with my hip. So it makes walking bad. It makes everything is fucked. I'm a, I worked manual labor for like the first eight years of my career while I was trying to figure out how to get through college. Didn't even get through college, but I managed to to land an office job. But standing on concrete floors for 12 hours a day, it turns out not great for your back. Um. So anyway, this Saturday, I was supposed to go get my booster shot. And then I realized this happened and I kind of tried to like, I was like, I'm hoping this isn't going to become like the full back throwing out thing. So I rested for like a half hour to see if my back would feel any better. If it would, you know, the muscles would loosen up. They did not. So I went and got a shot of this shit called Toradol, which, uh, by the way, an absolute fucking miracle. If you ever, if you ever throw out your lower back, it's non-narcotic. It's like the way I understand it. It's a, uh, non-steroidal anti-inflammatory D N-A-S-I-D. N-S-A-I-D. Do you see that on ibuprofen and shit? And this is like, it's like they shoot ibuprofen into your veins or like a stronger thing than ibuprofen. And within an hour, you feel like pretty good. You're actually feeling pretty, pretty good. Not perfect. You're not back to like full range of motion, but you go from like, you cannot do anything. You cannot put pressure on it. You cannot bend. You can, it hurts when you walk. 
to like you can walk and you can bend a little bit you can you know you have a little bit of range of motion and it, it and then as you continue to 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 progress it gets a little better and a little better because i guess what it does is it makes those muscles um what do they call that the opposite of contract expand they loosen up as my understanding and then i took i took a, a muscle relaxer for a couple of days i fucking hate i hate narcotic muscle relaxers so anyways this all happens the day that I'm supposed to get my booster shot. And I even asked the doctor, I was like, is it safe for me to go get my booster shot? And she's like, yeah, it shouldn't be a problem. This is, uh, this, you know, drug we're giving you has nothing to do with your immune response. Go ahead. So I, and then I drive the only clinic. I was trying to get it on Saturday so that it would be, I would avoid the worst of the side effects happening while I was in Montana. And so I drove to the clinic or the, the pharmacy to get, my booster shot and it's like 25 minutes away from where I live. It's like the very South end of Tacoma, Washington. And I get there and they say, I like wait in line. Very fucking annoying to wait in line for all this. I wait in line and I, and I go, Hey, I have a uh, booster shot appointment. And they go, sorry, our power went out. We, our whole system's down. We can't do any immunizations. So I think there's probably, it was a, the lady that said this. I don't think English was her first language. I am, I am, a, I was going for the Moderna shot. So it's one of those mRNA ones that need to be at super low temperature. So maybe that's what she meant. But it was very frustrating because I never got an email like canceling the appointment. They just expect everybody to keep coming in. And it's, it's really fucking annoying. So I'm not, I do not have the booster. I'm going to Montana. I did get Moderna in uh, March. So I'm the Moderna is the good one. We thought it was Pfizer. Everyone was calling Pfizer like the Mercedes of vaccines, but you fucked up Pfizer people. I'm ready to fight some Pfizer people. Um, I actually, I think it's funny that we did the same thing with, and it's, I know it was mostly joking, but it's the same. I used to, before I ever did comedy, I had this joke written for when I eventually would try comedy that our next civil war would be between xbox and playstation users and now it turns out our next civil war might be between q and on and antifa or whatever uh proud boys and antifa but we might have an actual civil war is my point but um we did the same thing everyone's doing the same thing with the vaccine oh i've heard people say that johnson and johnson is a placebo which by the way, like, I mean, it seems to be the least effective, but it is the one that I would have picked if I had, if you would have given me my choice, I felt the most comfortable with the idea of the Johnson and Johnson. So anyways, I'm going to Montana, uh, partially raw dogging it, uh, partially raw dogging Montana, um, with a, with a sore back. Luckily it's a short flight, but it's, uh, I'm, I'm hitting Montana, not at my best. That is, that is for sure. So please come out and make it, make it better for me, everybody. Uh, I want to talk about the Seahawks and then I want to talk more about Dave Chappelle because who doesn't want to hear a straight white comedian talk more about Dave Chappelle, but let's start with the Seahawks. The Seahawks played on Monday night football. They played the new Orleans saints. 
they lost in a in a pretty in pretty pathetic fashion, which is they basically had no passing game. Uh, early in the game, Geno Smith threw a pass to to DK Metcalf, where like either he pushed off or Marcus Lattimore, I believe is who was covering him, slipped or a combination of both. It was a little bit of a fluky play. Metcalf catches the ball and goes for 84 yards. Runs the rest of the length of the field. I think probably another, probably 60 of the yards were, um, were run by Metcalf. We're not in the air. And I think it's like, I mean, first off, I think Geno Smith seems rusty, which is to be expected. I think that, um, I think that the Seahawks are entering a pretty ugly period for them because they are so with Russell Wilson I think they looked like you know a likely playoff team but not a not a lock maybe like a fringe playoff team so if you punt this year which might not be their choice they might you know be out of the first off it's it's really difficult to pick up a quarterback in we're going into week eight to pick up a quarterback in week eight and have that guy immediately come in and make a difference, right? So even if they make a move for a quarterback, that quarterback has to come in and like understand the playbook in some way. And the only guys that are really available potentially that have that attribute are a guy that I've talked about in the past, Blake Bortles, who is not an exciting choice, but he at least, he at least worked with Shane Waldron last year. Geno Smith obviously has some experience. The Seahawks signed off a of waivers, former Washington Huskies quarterback Jacob Eason. I think it's it's he's interesting, but he's like one couldn't he's on a team with Carson Wentz, and they thought, well, not worth seeing what he has. Okay. Of course, the guys that are available on waivers or as free agents in week eight of an NFL season are not going to be exciting. But I, I think that if you're the Seahawks and you can figure out a guy, so like another guy would be like Jared Goff. But Jared Goff has a ton of money left on his contract. And uh, I actually, I'm not sure how much of what the guarantee structure is like, but it might not be. The team that's, that trades for a player is not responsible for their signing bonus as far as the cap is concerned, but there are other guarantees like roster bonuses and guaranteed for injury and stuff that I do think pass on to the team that trades for him. So Jared Goff is probably too expensive, both in terms of, I don't know if the Seahawks have the draft picks or realistically should use the draft picks to go get a guy like Goff who did play with Shane Waldron in Los Angeles, but also just financially, I don't think it could work. And I don't know if he's even that much better. I don't, you know, Goff is not, it's not like Goff is lighting the world on fire right now. So I don't know. I don't know that there's actually a quarterback available outside of Blake Bortles that even could be better than Geno Smith. And it's very obvious that the, the coaching staff is not going to allow Geno Smith to do very much. They've severely limited the impact he can have on the game. And so if that's the case, I think that there's a very good chance that the Seahawks are going to miss the playoffs this year. I mean, I, let, let's just make it very obvious. I mean, it's not, I'm not fucking going out on a limb. They're two and five in week seven in a very good division, and they're probably not going to make the playoffs. I said 
if they could be around 500 when, when Russell Wilson comes back, I think you have like a puncher's chance. Well, I think that you're starting to lose that puncher's chance. It's going to be very unlikely if he comes back in two weeks for them to win two, to win two in a row feels unlikely if he comes back in three weeks, four weeks, like this is looking like a season that is, that is unraveling. And I, there's also like, you can't really, there's not a lot of assets that the Seahawks have that I think you can. So like Tyler Lockett, and I'm not, again, not sure how the guarantee structure works, but he's got a bunch of dead cap money that I think makes him essentially untradeable. Jamal Adams is essentially untradeable. And I don't think that you, I don't think you could recoup the value you gave up for Jamal Adams by any means, unless you found another coach that that values like a, a run, like an in-the-box safety, which not many coaches, I think, do anymore. Um, you, There's probably like a couple offensive linemen that you could dump, maybe for picks. But I think the Seahawks really need to, this right now, they need to start thinking about what is, you got like, I think, is Russell Wilson 32 years old? I think Russell Wilson is 32 years old. And if Russell, if he's 32 years old, then let's see, hold on. We can pull this up. Russell Wilson. This is good radio. This is good podcasting. Everybody. This is how it's done. This is how the pros do it is who needs a producer? Why, when I pull up Russell, Russell Wilson contract, I don't want that shit. I just want his fucking, give me his overview. That's what I want. Overview. Russell Wilson. I'm still scrolling through shit. 32 years old, about to be 33 years old. So what do you have left of prime Russell Wilson? Like if you're being greedy four years. Now, if you don't, can you on the present, with the present, personnel the people who are the not only personnel but coaching staff can you imagine the Seahawks winning a Super Bowl in the next four years they have a void of talent they have a void of depth I think when you you think about those like early 2010s Seahawks teams it was a next man up thing right everyone was competing that would always compete there was they were churning the roster constantly finding these gems and now you've paid some of these guys and you you've you're stuck with them you don't have the flexibility you don't have the depth you've traded away draft picks you've drafted poorly by the way and so you look at that roster and you're like fuck i mean what how far away are they if they blew it up now like if they don't blow it up can they have the the financial flexibility and the talent acquisition to become a Super Bowl team in the next four years. And if they, what did I say that if they don't blow it up and if they do blow it up. And I think right now, I think if they don't blow it up, you're going to be constantly chasing this like kind of draft pick churn, this, this cap space churn because you got a lot of veteran players and you're going to have to replace them with veteran players as they get older and veteran players are expensive and then you don't have draft picks to, the, the Seahawks window is certainly closing, and I think that it's time to evaluate whether or not you could blow it up and rebuild before Russell Wilson is done. And now there's a good chance that Russell Wilson will – we see the difference that Russell Wilson makes, right? Russell Wilson takes this team from a 
from it. I mean, this team is fucking stagnant. With a essentially a replacement level quarterback, this team is nothing. The defense actually wasn't horrible last night. There were a couple. In fact, without a couple defensive fuck ups, uh, Marquise Blair had a an odd roughing or a, he had a roughing the passer call against him that was certainly by the book a roughing the passer call. I think the spirit of the rule. I don't think he did a lot of damage to Jameis Winston, but it was certainly by the book a roughing the passer on like a sack on like third and 15. It was so fucking aggravating. And then there was, what was the other one? There was a, a, um, well, there was the offside on Al Woods that was pretty rough. Went from a field goal attempt to a, um, a field goal attempt to a first down. And then there was another, there was another big, oh, there was the, uh, it was third and 10 and they let Alvin Kamara run for 10 yards. That was another one. I think there was another penalty. The Seahawks on penalties alone, I believe, um, allowed the Saints to, like, kept the drive alive and allowed the Saints to go downfield. And that's, uh, it's just infuriating. It's infuriating, despite the fact that they had actually probably played pretty well. That day, although Alvin Kamara did absolutely torch him, and you got there was a there was a lucky fumble recovery and etc. But it was not the worst Seahawks defensive game. But the 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 defense is bad and the offense is bad. At this point, the defense is bad and the offense is bad. So the other question is, if you blow it up, is does Pete Carroll have enough years left to be around? And if he doesn't, if the answer is no, though his contributions to the team, I mean, make him a fucking Ring of Honor member, no doubt. Hopefully a Hall of Fame head coach. I'm I'm kind of on board with that, although I don't know what how many one Super Bowl how many one Super Bowl coaches are in the Hall of Fame? I don't know. Is he Hall of Famer? I don't know. If he won a second Super Bowl, I think you'd it'd be but the the Seahawks haven't made it out of the divisional round since the 2014 season when they lost to the Patriots in the Super Bowl. So, like, I the I, I believe the Seahawks are at a crossroads. And it's possible that that crossroads means that you have to get rid of... I mean, maybe the crossroads means that part of blowing it up is you decide we can't... Like, this... this uh, this team will not be a Super Bowl contender before Russell Wilson has deteriorated to the point and give the man an opportunity elsewhere. I know there was a lot of speculation in the offseason, and I'm sure there will be more speculation this offseason, but about going to the Saints. I mean, I think you got to start. You, you, the, the issue with the issue right now with the Seahawks is there's two, they've fucked themselves twice, right? Like they've got this aging and expensive roster, aging and expensive roster, and they also have used a bunch of draft picks. They have thrown all their resources into winning the next one or two years. I think that the Seahawks understood the urgency going into this season, and it flopped miserably. And I don't know that there's, I'm not certain that there's like a, a fix for that. I don't I don't think there is a fix for that. 
I think they are fucked. They don't have the resources to acquire young and new talent, and they don't have a depth of talent. And so if that's the case, if you decide that Russell Wilson's career will take a major downturn before you're able to rebuild the roster around him, which I think you could make a pretty good argument for, then I think you start to like really start to think about what trading him in the offseason looks like. And you don't want to be the team that, that waits too long to trade him. And then you extend that window of, or extend that, that valley, the mediocrity valley even further because you, instead of getting a couple first round picks developing them, maybe getting this, this, you know, talent regeneration happening early. Instead of that, you wait a couple years and what you get for him is less, right? Like if, if there's, it's very unlikely that in th- in two years, you'll be able to get for Russell Wilson, what you could get from right now. And then I, I guess the next part of that is if you're going to choose to punt this season, just let Jacob Eason play. He's a, a second year player. He's under contract on a, a, a rookie minimum deal, basically for the next three years. Or the next two years after this, that's the other thing. Is like you're you're a year away from from like next year is DK Metcalf's last year before becoming an unrestricted free agent. So, I mean, I love DK Metcalf, but one, do you think he's going to resign to a team that has nothing around him? Two, is he going to resign for a deal that makes sense for the team? That is, I mean, he might be in a position to set the market for receivers. And if he's doing that while you don't really have a quarterback to throw to him or a team around him, then you're just throwing all this money at a guy who's, you know, a knee injury away from being less useful. And is it be- is the best thing for the team and the best thing for DK Metcalf to really max out the value that they can get for him? Now, I don't know. I mean, I would hope not. I love DK Metcalf. I think he's an amazing player. I'd love to see him finish his career in Seattle, but I don't want what I don't want to see is to see the end of Russell Wilson's career and DK Metcalf's entire career in Seattle be like a Felix Hernandez situation. Where these are guys we love. They're fucking icons in the city, but they never get an opportunity to play on the big stage again. All right, I'm going to pause this real quick and see if I can figure it out, but we're going to talk more about Dave Chappelle and then I'm going to get the hell off of here. All right, we're starting up this. Uh, it's, I had to pause the whole thing, but we're going to talk about Dave Chappelle. Dave Chappelle did a show in Nashville, and he filmed a chunk of him talking about his special, the reaction to his special, etc. And because this story will not die, we're gonna. I'm going to listen to it in its entirety, and I'll pause it on occasion. But this is uh, this is Dave Chappelle in Nashville. It's been said in the press that I was invited to speak to the transgender employees at Netflix and I refuse. That is not true. If they had invited me, I would have accepted it, although I am confused about what we are speaking about. I said what I said, and boy, I heard what you said. My God, how could I not? You said you want a safe working environment at Netflix. Well. It seems like I'm the only one that can't go to the office anymore. I'm the only one working environment at Netflix. 
All right, so I think this is like D- Dave Chappelle's making a joke. He's making this part funny. He's making a he's uh, making a point. This is a little bit. That's a little bit intellectually dishonest, right? Like we know that we know what he's what the the folks at Netflix are asking for, and it's unrelated to whether Dave Chappelle is safe to come to the office or not. It seems like I'm the only one that can't go to the office anymore. I want everyone in this audience to know that even though the media frames this, that it's me versus that community, that is not what it is. Do not blame the LBGTQ community for any of this shit. This has nothing to do with them. It's about corporate interests and what I can say and what I cannot say. I actually do agree with that, and he's going to get into it a little bit more. But I think that anytime you see these issues on like a media platform, on the radio, on TV, it comes down to advertisers. More than anything, it comes down to advertisers, subscribers, etc. Money. It comes down to money. For the record, and I need you to know this, everyone I know from that community has been nothing but loving and supporting, so I don't know what all this nonsense is about. In summer 2020, when the whole world shut down, I was outside doing shows. My neighbor had a cornfield and he let me throw shows there and people came from all over the country. Some people came from around the world to see those shows. The best comedians on earth came to my home and broke bread with me. And we lived our lives, we found a way to keep moving forward. By the way, past podcast guest and a friend of mine, Matthew Broussard, did one of these shows. Oh, man, what a fucking historical moment in comedy to be invited to Chappelle's farm. Holy shit. I made a whole documentary about it. The first night of those shows was a piece that some of you might have seen. It was called 846, and it dealt with the death, the murder of George Floyd. This film that I made was invited to every film festival in the United States, and some of those invitations I accepted. And when this controversy came out about the closer, they began disinviting me from these film festivals. And now, today, not a film company, not a movie studio, not a film festival, nobody will touch this film. Thank God for Ted Randall's and Netflix. He's the only one that didn't cancel me yet. Randall's and Netflix. He's the only one that didn't cancel me yet. It feels like that yet's yeah, very intentional, by the way. It does it does feel like Netflix is in a precarious spot. Like Netflix may still be considering removing these specials. To the transgender community, I am more than willing to give you an audience, but you will not summon me. I am not bending to anybody's demands. 
And if you want to meet with me, I'd be more than willing to, but I have some conditions. First off, before he starts into these conditions, I respect anybody. Again, that's conviction. I'm not doing the thing you said. I, I, self-worth is a thing that I'm obsessed with, and Dave Chappelle is very obviously brimming with self-worth. First of all, you cannot come if you have not watched my special from beginning to end. You must come to a place of my choosing and a time of my choosing. And thirdly, you must admit that Hannah Gatsby is not funny. All right, so that's I think that's the gist of it. And I think that uh, the... So the thing at the end, the shot of Hannah Gatsby, I think there is a little bit more to it, but I, I'm uh, this is becoming boring because I've watched this already. I don't like the what Hannah Gadsby sta- stands for necessarily, right? Like that's not something that I agree with. Um, but I, I don't. I think it's to me that part felt it's certainly fan service. Like he certainly the people who like Dave Chappelle are going to agree with that. But I felt like it was to have honest discourse to go to to present this as honest discourse because these aren't jokes. There are jokes. There's a couple jokes in there, but this is this is five minutes of not a lot of jokes. And to criticize a group for not having the, or to, you know, challenging this group to have an open discourse, I think you cheapen it slightly with the shot at Hannah Gadsby. Not that it's not funny, by the way. Not that it's not funny. I think it, it, it does cheapen it slightly. This is the thing. Dave Chappelle, the, my problem ultimately is I've seen a lot of people talking about, oh, rich comedians talking about canceling, being canceled. And, oh, you're canceled, but you're in arenas. First off, I mean, is Dave Chappelle canceled? Maybe not. But what? how do we define canceling? It seems like the only thing that could possibly mean someone got canceled is if their life has become ranked zero of 330 million or 330 millionth of 330 million. We're always going to say, oh, he still has a job. He's like if someone's livelihood or happiness or the way they interact with the world is severely altered or damaged, that's good enough as a cancellation for me. That's good enough to me, especially in a way that's like, is it damaged and does it also cost them money? That's good enough for me. So this like constant rewriting of the definition of someone being canceled is complete bullshit. It's if you if if the for someone to be canceled they have to be literally stripped of their ability to work at all. And I'm not defending fucking rich comedians. I don't give a shit about the it's 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 ultimately what it comes down to is what's happening to Dave Chappelle becomes and I'm not saying I'm not speculating. It becomes an example of what happens in local comedy becomes an example of what happens in small workplaces, non-prestigious workplaces. It becomes because Dave Chappelle has these regressive views. It becomes the justification for somebody at McDonald's losing their job because they have regressive views. It becomes the justification in my example, in my personal comedy experience, by the way, it's I was co-producing an open mic several years ago, six people in this group 
co-producing an open mic. That's too many people, by the way. That's why I do a show all on my own now. It's one of the many reasons that I do a show all on my own. But one of the comedians, or one a comedian, came in, came to our show, and he did some like crowd work. I might, I think I've talked about this on a past podcast episode, but he did some crowd work that the other people or one other person in this group said could have made audience members uncomfortable. This is a boy. I actually don't want to give too many details because this dude doesn't even know that this, he was up to be canceled or banned from this open mic. But let's say this person is, has multiple, he's of multiple protected classes. Okay. And they were like, we just got to, he's, we got to ban him from the open mic. And I was like, we're not even going to tell him why he's banned. So does this guy lose money? This guy that I'm talking about, does he lose money? Uh, no, it's an open mic. I mean, theoretically, you could say he loses like some potential value that he's getting from the open mic, but is he going to become a famous comedian? No, probably not. Does that mean that you didn't take joy away from him in some form? That's good enough for me. Why are we fucking debating? Yeah, The question is, should Dave Chappelle be punished for this? Should he be punished for this special? And my answer is no. Call it cancellation. Call it whatever you want to call it. Let's boil it down to its purest form. Should he be punished for this? And I say no. I don't think Hannah Gadsby should be punished for her specials. I don't think that fucking, uh, I mean, name a person who's got an opposing worldview. I don't think that people should be punished for what I, one, I don't think is hate speech. I think that's, uh, that's, I think, the main point. But two, I, and it's not that people shouldn't be punished for it. I don't think this is hate speech. I think this is a person presenting their opinion in a way, a raw way that doesn't, doesn't, he's not presenting it as some fake politician level of perfection, of polish. And so if that's the thing, should Dave Chappelle be punished? There's people that want him punished. There's people that want him to lose money, to lose his Netflix deal, to to not be able to tour anymore. They want that. That's the, the if whether or not, whatever you feel about Louis C.K., Louis C.K. has been punished. Uh, and so, yeah, that's, I mean, these the people are being, just because they don't, their lives aren't reduced to tatters that they're not living in the ruins of their past happiness doesn't mean that they were not punished. And that's the question. Should we be punishing these comics? And I say no. All right. I'm going to end the podcast there. Uh, thank you for listening. Um, I'm going to hopefully be back with an, an episode featuring Alex Kaufman of Bone Dry Comedy. We'll see. I am staying at his place, so we might hate each other by the end of the week when we finally have time to record. Thank you for listening to this podcast, and I will talk to you soon.